attention clothing resellers, are you on the hunt for unbeatable deals to boost your resale business? Look no further than Boutique by the Box, your ultimate source for premium liquidation clothing. They offer small and large lots of clothing featuring top brands from Revolve, Madewell, Good American, Nordstrom, and so many more. Now, here's the secret to supercharge your savings. Use code ELDUCHO5 to enjoy 5% off your order or go big with ELDUCHO10 for an incredible 10% off. Maximize your profits while stocking your inventory with high-end fashion. Visit boutiquebythebox.com and use codes ELDUCHO5 or, or ELDUCHO10 to start filling your cart with exclusive deals. Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is Elducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O, and you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as Elducho Thrift. I'm very excited about this week's guest. I had the opportunity to interview somebody I've been following on social media for quite some time now, and her name is Breezy. Breezy started out reselling by doing retail arbitrage, but her business has slowly evolved over the years to now selling vintage clothing. We talk about all of this and more in this week's episode. I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. Hi, Breezy. Thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Hi, Denali. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. Not only is it well, is it your first podcast that you've ever been on, Breezy? Girl, this is my podcast first for everything. First, <laughs> first okay. podcast I've been on. It's going to be the first I watch or listen to. <laughs> like you can see how much I don't know. That's what I was going to say. It, it might be if you're willing to listen to it. Not everybody wants to listen to themselves, but it might be the first one you listen to as well. We were just talking. I was thinking I should have recorded that conversation. But Breezy and I were talking about how she's never listened to a podcast and how she didn't know how to access one. So this will, you know, hopefully I just text you the link and it'll bring it up for you on your phone. And then you're, you know, podcast obsessed after this. Does oh my God, this good? is going to be the moment. <laughs> I hope this is. I hope I can take credit for this in your life. Well, I'm really happy to have you here with me today because, you know, I've been following you on social media for quite some time now. I think I you know, I feel like our paths crossed maybe first on Clubhouse. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted to get to know you and your business a little bit better other than what I know on social media. So my first question for you, Breezy, is tell me about yourself and how has your life led you to reselling? Wow. Okay. So I'm from the South originally. I was born in Mississippi and I grew up in like the coastal South, like New Orleans and Mississippi. That's where my family is from for like, they got off the ship from Ireland and landed New Orleans and opened wow. bars. And my father was a costume designer. He was a theater major and a costume designer. So, and we also lived with my great uncle who was what, what we call a drag queen back then, I guess. So, mm -hmm. um, so we just had like endless amounts of costume pieces, lots of vintage. We were always like salvaging more vintage or pieces to put costumes together. Also like New Orleans, you're always doing costumed events. It's just like a thing. It's part of your life. And, and then also, you know, what led me to resell? Poverty. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like, I grew up like, poor. So if we wanted nice things, we found them or we made them or we upcycled them. So a lot, I came from a long line of people who understood how to find treasures in the trash. Um, mm-hmm. I used to be embarrassed when I was a kid, like when my dad would be curb diving, but now I made a career out of it. So <laughs> it comes full circle. And then, yeah, so like, I just kind of grew up doing all of those things. I was always thrifting, always estate sailing, just curb diving, upcycling. My father made a lot of the furniture in our house. He made all of our costumes. My stepmom made my homecoming dress, like things like that. And then... I was in the bar industry for a long time. I was, uh, I ended up in bar management eventually. I loved that field, but I aged out because <laughs> I was in sports bars and you have to, um, they, you know, there's always a, a fresh crop of 21 year olds coming through, I guess. So <laughs> at that time I had my first child. I think like a lot of women who end up in resale or moms that end up in resale, I wanted to spend more time with my kid I wanted to be able to work from home and then I remembered oh my god I know how to treasure hunt (laughs) so I just um started to flip things and honestly I remember looking at all the apps that were available at that time I think it was like 2015 when I was like there's got to be an app for this and that's I so I, I tried them all at that time I think at the time it was like eBay thread up Poshmark maybe real real and I didn't have any luxury at the time so real real was out for me at eBay I looked in my ADHD mind I had been on eBay I had an eBay account from back in the 1900s (laughs) (laughs) where I sell like my old CDs for like beer money in college you know what I mean but (laughs) I was like oh, I don't know how to really run an eBay account. Like, this is actually hard. I was just being a terrible eBay seller to get beer money, you know? That that was back when you were, like, literally, I don't even remember if there's pictures. If there was, we were, like, scanning the pictures. And, like, it was old school eBay. So I was like, eBay's too confusing for me right now. And then I sent something to ThreadUp, and I wasn't happy with the payout at all. So then I ended up with Poshmark, and I was like, oh, this is this is for people who don't like technology like me. And I, it was so easy. I will, I've always said that to people about Poshmark. It's so user-friendly. It's so easy. So that was really in 2015, how I got started selling my stuff like on an app. And I remember I just did it for like, um, like, I don't know, maybe even a week or two weeks. And I always think this is funny. I thought at the time I discovered resale. I was, I said to my husband, I go, I'm pretty sure people are buying stuff and then selling it to make money on this app. (laughs) Like I was the first person who had ever thought of it. And and then I was like, I can do that. I can do that. And that's, and that's how it started. I just, from there, I started doing that. And then I think like every reseller who got in, in those early days of the apps, like it used to be a lot of money pretty easily. You know what I mean? (laughs) Going back to when you were growing up and you said your father was a costume designer. I'm curious about that. What sort of costume design was he doing? He had majored in theater with costume design at Tulane. So he was doing mostly theater costume design. And then he was also with the opera for a while in New Orleans, but he was actually singing chorus for them. I don't think he was 
designing them. That's where he met my stepmom, actually, because she was in the opera as well as the assistant manager. And they met and the rest was history there. But yeah, he mostly did theater costume design. You know, you jokingly said that you discovered reselling because of poverty. You know, when you were younger, was there any part of reselling that happened? You know, you said that in 2015 is kind of when you started to do it, you know, as a job. But before then, was did it ever exist in some capacity? I mean, okay, you said that in the 1900s, there was eBay with the CDs. So that sounds like it was maybe in your, you know, 20s. Oh, yeah. What I mean, like- I always... I always was a hustler. Like, I will say that. Like, I'm against hustle culture, but at the same time, I myself am a hustler. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm always hustling to make a buck. I've always been that girl. I would say, like, even, you know, like a lot of us, I was, like, buying candy wholesale, selling it at school. I remember making a subscription. I probably was, like, literally the first person to make a subscription service. And it was in the late 1980s. And I had made a babysitter's club book subscription service (laughs) with, and I used my babysitter club books for that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I always was like selling a little something on the side. I also kind of got into a little bit of costume making. I sold some of that coming up. I had been an art major. So I was selling a little of my own wares for a minute. I'm curious about the babysitter's club books. (laughs) Can you tell me how this worked? You know, did you have like, I mean, how many friends did you have renting books from you? Um, (laughs) Like 10 to 15 girls renting books from me. I called it a lending library. And I remember my dad was like, no one's pay you for a library. It's free. And I was like, not when you have babysitter's club books, dad, that's a hot commodity. Oh my gosh. I feel like, you know, it was some version of like, like Netflix in a way, if you're like renting out books for money, you were ahead of the curve. You had a great idea. If you had only thought about it with DVDs. (laughs) Right. If only I had made an app. (laughs) Right. If only you had made an app website, got a ton of DVDs, you really could have had something there. Okay. So then as you got a little bit older, you said you were selling CDs on eBay, not being the best eBay seller and having to scan photos. I do remember those days of having to, it's so funny to think like you had to take a photo and then scan it on your flatbed scanner because this is before digital cameras to then make a listing for, (laughs) to sell your item. Do you still have that same account now? Yeah. Um, it's not the one. So my husband and I have been together since we were 19, right? So we had these eBay accounts back in the day and we like one of them is slightly newer than the other one. And I can't remember which one I'm under. So one is the one from back in the 1900s. And then we have another one from like 2000, I don't know, three or five or something that we, and I can't remember which one I ended up using for the business, but it's definitely, I will say it's one of the older accounts because eBay is, their customer service is very kind to me. I will say that it's an older account and they appreciate my, my loyalty. Yeah. You do get that nice greeting where they say, you know, thank you for your 20, 25, whatever it is, years of, of business or something like that. When you contact customer service. Thanks for trusting us when a random stranger on the internet wrote you a check. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thanks for allowing people to send you coins in the mail. That's so funny. Okay. So 
you worked in bar management later in life and you said that you aged out of that. Once you had your first kid, you said that's when you realized, okay, I've got this skill that I could be flipping items online for profit. Did you do that at all? Like locally, you know, speaking, I guess, mom to mom, you know, that was something that kind of like first dipped my toe back in was taking, you know, items that your kid no longer uses and maybe selling them locally on like, I don't know, Facebook marketplace or, and I know that probably did, wasn't in existence, but, or kids consignment sales or stores. Was that something that you ever did? No. Um, <laughs> I actually have, <laughs> I have really bad social anxiety. So I get very nervous talking to people in public and I get very nervous when people come into my home. I just had some weird incidences in the past. So I like, I never, I would never put anything on. I mean, and I love like all my friends do it and they all make like so much money. Facebook marketplace is amazing. This is a me hang up. And I just, it's something about me that I cannot do it. I can't, I cannot have someone come to my door. I think I would like panic. <laughs> I was just wondering because, you know, for, like I said, for a lot of moms, that's kind of how they the idea kind of first comes to them. It's just like, oh, I have all this stuff of my kids that I'm not using anymore. But for you, it was more of, okay, I've had, I had a kid, I'm staying home, I'm looking to make income. So your initial thought was to go to thrift stores to then find inventory? Interestingly enough, when I first came on the scene for like, in on Poshmark because that's the app where I like started to be like oh let me do this seriously and take it like maybe as a business at the time 2015 Anthro and free people were so reigning supreme in resale and people were making hand over fist hand over fist so initially I was just doing retail arbitrage which is wild to me because I'm such not a retail arbitrager and then I quickly was like why I started to see people doing secondhand I was like hold up what am I doing retail arbitraging when I could be thrifting. And I, so I switched within months, like a few months to thrifting. And of course, everyone who's in resale knows that the, you can't beat the cogs of thrifting. Like we get spoiled with those ROIs. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you started doing retail arbitrage and then you were, you know, you mentioned anthro. So I'm assuming you were just going to like anthropology and buying stuff, what off the clearance rack or... Were you I was doing the 40% off sale sale that happens, what, twice a year, I think. And I was okay. going to that with free people in Anthro. I lived in California, you have to remember, in San Diego, which is a huge city at the time. So it was easy for me to hit up multiple Anthros and free people. So I was able to get, and, and you know, you also have your return policy. So in the beginning, cause I am not a gambler. I am, I'm like the cheapest person you will ever meet in your life. Okay. And, um, I hate to put money out. It's just, like so hard for me. I have to like really listen to those, those social media influencers who are telling us to take chances in business and stuff, because it's so hard for me. So I love the concept that it was a no risk at first with retail arbitrage. And I did do a little Nordstrom rack and TJ Maxx, yellow tag clearance type stuff. Once you realized oh, I could be doing this by going to thrift stores. Do you still have that piece today? That's a million dollar question. Yes, oh, I well, do. Yes. You know, it was a good decision. It was smart to keep it then. You've gotten clearly, your use clearly. out of it. Talk to me about how your thrifting and your store has evolved throughout the years. Because, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, 2015 is when you started. 
you know, what, how has it evolved in the past? Well, it'd be eight years now, you know, because you started selling modern clothing. Is that still what you sell today? Okay, so I'm doing the anthro free people. First, it's retail arbitrage. Then I'm going into thrift. At the time, I was finding very current pieces of anthro and free people. And as resellers, we know, like, if it's not a collective collector's piece, you want current pieces because nobody cares about like five seasons ago, right? So I was, I just had a treasure trove available to me. But then I moved to the East Coast. I moved to Maryland. And around that time as well, it just, I don't know if the market got saturated or there was a lot of factors, right? It, the market got saturated, uh, reseller market got saturated with anthropology and free people. Free people and anthropology were starting to go, or at least free people were starting to go to TJ Maxx. They were starting to filter into the palettes. Like, you know, that's the death of a brand. So <laughs> we like, we were like, okay this isn't and then I, I just couldn't find it like I could find it on the west coast I mean I could find it but it was older seasons so I'm just kind of picking up different things I always had a little vintage in my closet because I say closet at a time because it was Poshmark because I liked vintage it, it was something I wore and I enjoyed but I'm telling you I w- I remember selling a gunny sacks shirt beautiful blouse. I sold that for around 30, $35. I remember selling a Laura Ashley velvet dress for $13. People did not care about vintage at the time. Not really. They weren't valuing it high. Mm-hmm. So there's an interlude <laughs> where I become a denim seller. <laughs> mm. And this all happened because one day I go to this amazing thrift. And if you're in the DMV area, it is the I think it's the Savers in Silver Springs. It's the craziest thrift store. Like you get through this thrift, you think you're done. Then you see like a bodega. And on the other side of that bodega is like a whole other thrift. You're like, what? <laughs> and there's a taco <laughs> shop. <laughs> okay, it's amazing. So I'm in there with a friend of mine and I get in the denim section and it was like the craziest hit of my life. It was nothing but designer denim, back when designer denim like back before the Levi's, like every, before mom jeans, like everyone's still wearing skinny jeans and they want designer denim, right? And I'm just like, I've, I'm like crazed with it. And so I start throwing it in my basket and then, then I start throwing it over my shoulder. And when I tell y'all, it was just like insane. I'm throwing so much denim over my shoulder that I actually like created kind of a frenzy in the thrift. And all these people started running over, like I had struck gold or something and they're like panicking in the denim aisle, but I had already scooped up all the denim I remember saying to my friend, I said to my friend, Eden, I go, I hope this works (laughs) because I just blew all this money on denim. Luckily it did. At the time, denim was selling like hotcakes. So those, and denim, once you get it down, it's so easy to list, right? So Mm -hmm. I was just like flying. I was a production queen. I was killing it in the denim world. And then the mom gene crash of 2000, whatever happened. (laughs) There went my (laughs) denim dreams. So then I, um, but luckily at that time was right at the time that I realized people were starting to value my vintage items. And I was seeing some people on social do like vintage on social. And I was like, yo, I think we're at the precipice of a, of a movement of a, you know, a niche share happening. So I was, and that's when I said, I, again, I said to my friend Eden, she was there with me and 
Marilyn, I said, I'm done with denim. <laughs> I'm shifting. I'm going all vintage. And she goes, girl, don't go all vintage. No one goes all vintage. <laughs> and um, I was like, I'm going to do it. And she was like, you're crazy. You can't give up the answer on free people. <laughs> They're like bread and butter pieces. And I was like, no, I'm doing it. And I just did it at right the right time. Like I struck right at the right time when, when vintage started to get huge. Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. That's what I was curious about is when that shift into vintage happened for you. Do you remember around what year that was? Oh, Lord, I want to say um, maybe 2017, maybe 17 ish. And at that time, just because, you know, in 2015 is when you said you started reselling on Poshmark and looking into the apps and everything, you know, when at what point in the past eight years did it, I guess, you know, um, occur to you that this was your job like when did you feel like okay this is my job I I'm a clothing reseller at when I was living in Orange in Orange County I was getting really dis I was working part-time at the bar still and I was getting really discouraged in that field because it can be very um misogynistic and because mm-hmm. I was in charge of hiring and firing the which ended up being the female staff because it was the serving staff it was getting very difficult for me because they were putting the other managers were putting parameters on me that I didn't like like I was having to focus on people's looks things like that and I just didn't feel comfortable with it Mm -hmm. especially I think it was one thing when I was just like a la-di-da girl working in the world but once I had a daughter I know that sounds cheesy, but it really did. It started to hit home. I was like, what am I doing for the future of women right now? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Nothing gotcha. good. Nothing right. good, you know? So yeah. I, I really wanted out at that point. And I, I like still to this day, I love bar industry work because I, I do, as much as I said, I hate people, I weirdly like talking to people in bars because it's like quick and fast paced. Maybe the ADHD in me loves it. But um <laughs> But yeah, I wanted out. And so, um, oh my God, I lost my train of thought. That was how I got to, oh, full-time. So I had been selling and then I was like, I just told my husband one day, I think I just quit. I think I just like crazy quit after working for this place for seven years. I was like, I'm out of (laughs) 5,000. And then I told my husband and he was like, we live in um, Orange County. (laughs) And he wasn't happy. And I was like, I'm going full-time resale. But in reality, I always say this, I'm really more like part-time and a half because I've always been a stay-at-home mom, like, as well as running this business. So I never really have full-time commitment to my business. But I think that that's part of the beauty of, you know, when you decide to do this as full-time work, just for lack of a better term, is that it can be 
it's flexible, right? You can do it as much or as little as you want. And I think that's why a lot of women after they have children become attracted to this sort of work and myself included in that. So, okay, sorry. That was like a little bit of a sidetrack, but I was just curious, like when you actually considered yourself, you know, to be a full-time reseller in regards to your vintage and where you're at now in your business, you know, what platforms do you sell on now and what is the majority of your closet or store look like? Is it more modern or is it more vintage or an even split? Okay. So it is, I pick up solely vintage, but if I see a good luxury piece, I can't say no. (laughs) (laughs) So So what you will see me selling always is either completely true vintage and I'm very good at dating it. It's very accurate. Or, and the only other thing you'll find in there is luxury. I will pick up luxury pieces that I think are are rad. And then in terms of platforms that you sell on, you mentioned Poshmark. Oh, yes. Um, eBay, who I love. eBay is always bay for me. I mean, and I will say this, my, I wasn't on eBay. I didn't go back to eBay. I was just like on Posh. because I, I mean, like I said before, it's so easy. Posh is easy. And my friend, um, Eden, her, can I give her a handle? Yeah. She's the reclaimed, she's the reclaimed rose. She's such a sweetheart, sweet mom. She just had a baby. Congrats, Eden. Okay. And, um, anyway, she, <laughs> she was the one who um said she kept saying, girl, you gotta get on eBay, girl. And we would be, we would thrift and then we'd go eat like at like IHOP or something. And, and I would hear like pitching, pitching from her phone. And I'm like, what is that? She's like, that's just me making money on eBay. And finally, I was like, I got to get that cha-ching. So I started because of her. And then literally in three months on eBay, I remember my sales just doubling. And like eBay was just such a powerhouse. And then I'm on Etsy. They're not on my best. I'm, I'm on like, they're on timeout for me right now. <laughs> I'm mad at them. And then I'm in the process of leaving Depop. So I was on Depop. I loved Depop initially. And I just, I think since the merger, and I don't know if it has, that could be completely coincidental, but since they merged with Etsy, I haven't loved the platform. I haven't seen the same sales from the platform. So I'm actually in the process of saying sayonara, Depop. You know, what's interesting is that being that you primarily sell vintage, I think, and you know, at some point, especially when it, you shifted over to selling more vintage, you said kind of in 2017, that Poshmark was one of your bigger platforms. Because I don't think that people initially think of that platform to be selling vintage on, but clearly that's not the case. I really found um, that it, that Poshmark was decent on vintage. It wasn't quite what eBay was. But I, mm-hmm. I'm selling decent enough amounts of vintage on there. Like, I'm surprised, too, because you don't think the demographic is there. But there must be a strong niche there. Because there were some months where I definitely equaled eBay and sales on Poshmark, which was surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. And I think, you know, vintage clothing. I mean, there's probably always been interest for vintage clothing. But in terms of resale platforms and and the interest from people purchasing it on resale platforms, I think has increased, including places like Poshmark, which is really great, but it's just not people's knee jerk reaction. I think when you name platforms to be selling vintage on. So I think, yeah, I think that's really great. I'm curious though. You said Etsy 
you kind of alluded to it not being a favorite and being that you sell vintage i'm curious why you say that the thing about etsy honestly weirdly poshmark outdoes my etsy in vintage sales always has c is for me, the most difficult for me to list or cross post on, and I'm looking at it as a time thing, right? Now, they've mm-hmm. always given me enough extra money every month that I was like, oh, I can't quite drop you though, <laughs> you know? But when mm-hmm. I looked at it in comparison to eBay and Poshmark, it's more time and less money. So, uh, you know, I've always said eBay, you have to draw your traffic more than eBay or Poshmark. The eBay and Poshmark do a better job of getting the traffic there for you than Etsy does. Mm. And I will say I do do a little bit. Um, sometimes I'll do an Instagram sale as well. And then I occasionally do, I try to do it once a month, but I'll be real. I don't do it once a month. I try to do pop-ups locally, preferably once a month, but I haven't done one in months. So I'd be lying if I said that. But I think in vintage, especially if you're starting out to establish yourself, it's really good to do local pop-ups. Yeah, and and you're in California, which is a great place to do it. I mean, you guys have sunshine, what, 360 days a year? Oh, we're blessed, blessed, (laughs) I will say, because the vintage market is strong. People want vintage. They appreciate, they value vintage. And we have so many markets. I don't have to go. I mean, I literally can walk to a market. I could do every Wednesday if I wanted to. Like, we have a plethora of markets. That's amazing. So... In regards to the sort of vintage that you're looking for, just because, you know, there's a lot of niches that you could go to, do you have a niche when you're sourcing vintage items or do you, are you just willing to pick up any decade style, what have you? I'm willing to pick up any decade for real, but I am always like when I'm sourcing in my mind, my client is an amazing like person who is not basic at all they are really like the main it's main character energy they want you to notice them entering the party and exiting the party this is a statement moment this is for like the girls the gays and the days that are just fierce and awesome and so that's who I'm sourcing for so if it fits in those parameters I will pick it up regardless of the decade but that being said I'm very drawn to 60s 70s psychedelic 70s western wear antiques and anything like with an homage to goth fashion when sourcing vintage I mean you know as the years pass is it harder and harder to find items or do you feel like you have access to a lot of great, I don't know, vintage pieces around you? Okay. It is getting harder. I would say to find, cause so in vintage, we have true vintage, which is, and these are not terms I made up to just say, I don't know who made these terms up, but somebody made up these terms. True vintage is 1970s and before, right? A hundred years ago is antique. Mm-hmm. And then, Vintage is like 80s, 90s, Y2K. Um, to get the true vintage is is getting harder because clothes do deteriorate after time, right? And um, mm-hmm. people are buying them more and more. The cog has gone up. The cost of goods is certainly higher. There are areas of the country that vintage is going to be more readily available to you than other parts of the country. You know, out here in California, we have a ton, but we have to pay for good pieces. Now, this is why... 
it's really good if you start teaching yourself how to sew and repair lace and dye and all these things, because when you can't get the pieces that are not damaged, you at least can pick up the pieces that are damaged and give them new life. And so is that something you take on? Do you, do you repair pieces? Yes, unfortunately I do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny. I go, I'm like, I'm very ADHD. So there are, there are weeks and even maybe months where I'm into it. I love sewing. I love the repair. I'm so into it. And then there's a long period of time where I might not be. And sometimes I have to go through and start getting rid of my mending pieces, letting them go to pattern makers and stuff because I have to be realistic, but I do get excited about certain pieces, bringing them back to life. I did teach myself lace repair, which is kind of crazy. It's like probably the thing I'm proudest of as a reseller. And I do, I do feel a sense of accomplishment being able to repair a piece. So I appreciate that. But I, it's always like way more work than you think it's going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, lace repair is really impressive. I have a friend who does repairs and yeah <laughs> I mean it does not look easy and I don't have the patience for it. I wish I did so kudos to you thanks um, yeah I mean then like I said I only have the patience like on the right ADHD moment <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta catch yourself in the right mood I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more, but I've found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, flip the script that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. When thinking about all of the vintage items that you've thrifted through the years, you know, is there something that stands out to you that you're like, okay, this is like my proudest piece that I've ever picked up? Oh my God. So many. They're like my babies. <laughs> we'll name a few. It's okay. It's a fun um, question. I did get an 1860s wedding dress once that was absolutely stunning. It came with the petticoat and everything. And weirdly enough, I got that just blocks away from my house. And I went down to that estate sale thinking I was going to find nothing. And my husband and I had to walk back with like all these antique wedding dresses in our hands. It was hilarious. (laughs) That at the same time, I also picked up and I have yet to list this. So be looking forward to this, guys. It's a 1920s wedding dress. And it comes with the picture of the original bride in the dress. Like, oh, oh, wow. Stunning. And then um, I I got a Vivian Westwood calf hair leopard print jacket once that was in my size. And I'll I'll never forgive myself for selling. Oh, no. Well, okay. But did you at least make some good money off of it? Um, No. Oh, it should have made so much more. I was, this was me being very naive, you know, as a reseller. And, you know, you make mistakes, you get cut, right? Like, and that was just me not understanding luxury because I didn't grow up with luxury, you know? And still to this day, luxury is a learning curve for me. You know, I have to really study up on it. A lot of people say like, oh, feel fabric. So you'll you'll feel like it feels luxurious. I'm like, 
girl, not when you grow up with Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what luxurious feels like. So I definitely undersold that piece. But you know what? Did I get my cog and then some, or my ROI and then some? Yes, absolutely. I made my money that day. So I have to be happy with where I was in my journey at that moment. I did well for myself, you know? Yeah, no, we've all had those moments where we realize like after the fact, okay, I sold it for not enough money, but you just kind of have to forgive yourself and move on and, and be happy that you made money. You know what I mean? Like, that's the part you have to focus on. You're like, the thing I intended to do was done. So that's all that matters. (laughs) Well, and the reality of the situation too, that I think we all have to realize about ourselves, where are we on this ladder, right? Because uh, that might have been all I was going to get for that coat. You know what I mean? Like right. every seller has a different amount that they can sell for. And right now, like in the vintage world, I sell to sellers um, above me on this ladder all the time. You know, And I'm happy with the price I sell to them. And then they're going to turn around and sell that for way more because they have the models right. and everything else. And that's fine. That's how this works. This is how we do. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a question that was kind of floating around in my head also is that, you know, because you're selling kind of specific styles or pieces, you said your ideal client is, do you find that you have a lot of repeat buyers? Oh yeah. I have a ton of repeat buyers and you know, I, another specialty of mine is lingerie and I do sell a lot to the trans community. Um, so I, I think because the trans community, it can be not a safe space to buy in once they find that you are a safe seller for them, they are super grateful and willing to come back again and again. They're actually like my favorite buyers. I love them so much. (laughs) So um, yeah, I had, I do get a lot of repeat buyers. That's amazing. And you know, one thing speaking of, you know, your store and your pieces, you know, one thing unique about your store is that you model your garments. Is that right? Yes, I do. So that was another thing that made me lucky in the beginning is that when I first started selling, I was a modern size large and um, I'm hyper mobile. So I can pop my shoulders in and out of joints. So I was able to get into a lot of size clothing to model it. Wow. um, Like a contortionist kind of. And you know, people like, this is what I'll say. If you want to model clothes, like, listen, a picture is static. So as long as it looks like you're wearing the item from the front, it does not matter what's going on in the back. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. That's Um, that's interesting. Oh yeah. Like all the time you see me include items that might be like an extra small when I was a size large. Nowadays though, I am a double XL and I will say that my contortioning has gotten a lot more difficult. (laughs) So I've been (laughs) modeling less than I used to just because I really can't get in the product as much. And interestingly enough, yeah, I like my, I think I did take a hit from less modeling. You know what I mean? That's something a lot of people talk about that, that if you can model your stock, it is increasing your chance of it selling by quite a bit and how much you can sell it for. It's interesting that if you do have somebody who can model the product, yeah, it definitely, it seems like it definitely sells better for some people. Did you have any apprehensions about doing that? Just showing yourself or your body when modeling your inventory? Because I think probably more people than not would be hesitant to do so? I did not, but I um, had done promotional modeling when I was younger and I had been a waitress and a bartender in sports bars for so long 
um, where I had to wear skimpy outfits. I had to bartend in bikinis at times. So I was very used to bartending very like what some people might say were like Halloween costumes you would wear to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I was so used to just being on display, on display. <laughs> that I like, yeah, I literally, I don't know. I also have a very easy time dis- disassociating, if you will, when I'm on social media. I'm like, that's just a picture of some girl wearing vintage. That's not me, mm-hmm. but it is me, you know? Like, Yeah, so no, I think that's a good easy. way to look at it. Let's talk about your workspace you know how do you operate your business do you have like a storage unit you operate it out of your house how does this work for you it has always been operated out of my house and there have been many many different places we have done this from in my journey (laughs) um I think the best setup I had was when we had a townhouse in Maryland because I had the entire basement to work out of and it was a finished basement so that was lovely and I had beautiful woods outside to take pictures and it was really everything could be done from my house it was so easy but right now I am in a thousand square foot two-bedroom house with my two kids my husband my cat and my dog and I do have a garage thank god so (laughs) I have things stored in the garage in bins and sometimes we have we always have rotating hanging racks of like what needs to be mended and what's going to a pop-up etc and then I have my office is in my closet of my bedroom <laughs> nice and I just close that closet every night and pretend it's not there <laughs> and then open it back up in the morning and it's looming right over you right yeah it's not <laughs> ideal it's not ideal <laughs> not what I suggest for people well but I think it's a reality for a lot of a lot of us uh, who are running small businesses, it's just, you know, you kind of make it work in the situation that you have. Um, Have you ever thought about getting a storage unit or anything like that? Has that ever been something that you even wanted? Because some people don't want, don't want to even have their inventory offsite. Yeah. And I probably do fall into that group because as much as I would love to say, I'm going to the office, I'm going to get this done. I probably am better having it right there with me and just being able to like, willy-nilly on a whim go run out and do something a lot of times with my own social media my creativity for content creation just like comes to me so Mm -hmm. it's really good to have that available to like okay as soon as this comes to me let's do this and bang it out while I have the creative juices flowing yeah that's true yeah to just have the inventory on hand you know I'm curious what do you feel like are some of the challenges that you currently face in your business right now I mean you just talked about you know having the office in your bedroom, not being an ideal situation, but you know, what are other things that you feel like you're challenged by? Um, it, well, I mean, I do think this is happening with almost everyone right now is that we're like in a downturn economy and it's the job mm-hmm. just got a lot harder. It did get a lot harder. I probably experienced a lot of ADHD burnout in my job. And that's, you know, as you can see, you see me go from retail arbitrage to, I have a boho then I'm a a denim seller, then I'm vintage, then I specified in lingerie. Now I'm doing more antiques and gauze. Like I do, like, instead of keeping consistent and saying, this is what I do, blah, 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 which is the best way to do it. I'm like switching it up for my own dopamine hits. (laughs) (laughs) 
And um, so I, I do feel that burnout and especially when we're not getting those, like we used to just get sales. I feel like we all of resellers, we were just getting sales, 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 sales. And then it's like, it started to slow down. And then you're like, I'm doing all this work for what, you know? So that, that's hard for me to keep going. I will say when I first started, I had a serious schedule that I kept to. I was very good at being my own boss. I was super consistent. And then along the lines, I'll be completely honest. I realized now that anxiety was actually driving me. So I, when I, because I do have an anxiety disorder. So when I became medicated for my anxiety disorder, my drive for work went like away. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. who wants to do that? No one is boring. So <laughs> I'm trying to find my groove again. Stella needs to get her groove back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I have to get my consistency back because this game is about consistency. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, not the worst thing in the world that you kind of jump around a little bit and focus on different areas because I think it gives you an opportunity to then now be in places like this where you're like okay you know what is my groove what do I like you know what I mean like you you find out what you like through doing it so in some respect I think that that's really great but yeah you know not having the schedule can be challenging and I think that there's a good amount of us that stick to a schedule and then there's a good amount of us who it's, you know, a little willy nilly and every day is something different. And I definitely fall into that category. So I feel you. <laughs> I'm, I always I know I'm about to write Andy Cohen and be like, you can't keep putting out such amazing content, Andy Cohen. <laughs> I, <laughs> I keep getting distracted by all these Real Housewives spinoffs. <laughs> yeah, well, to the listener, uh, Breezy and I are avid Bravo TV watchers. And yeah, it doesn't help that there's some great summer TV happening. I, you know, that's the time where it's supposed to not be as good you know this is I want to be able to focus in other ways but it's just not gonna be the case summer it like people talk about summer slowdown and I'm like I literally would have no idea because when summer hits I'm like who's working I'm at the beach I'm at the the worst (laughs) in the summer I just want a vacation all the time and just like enjoy the water (laughs) I you know that makes sense though you do have a beach you 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 know where you live so that's kind of a luxury and and I don't blame you if I lived in a city where there was beautiful beaches, I would probably just check out. I would be like, um, I'm going on a two month long hiatus. <laughs> see you see you in September, everyone. <laughs> but I think that's also, you know, a challenge too when, you know, you mentioned just being a stay at home mom is that, you know, you have this time off with your kids and you want to be able to do stuff with them. And then at the same time, you're like, well, I also need to make some money and I think that that's a challenge in itself. Do you feel like you face that? Oh, a thousand percent. Like I always think that mom guilt is intensified if you are a work from home mom, because you fool yourself and kid yourself into thinking that you're home with your kids all the time. But the reality of the situation is when you own your own business and you work from home, you don't have really any time off. You are on call all the time and you will end up working more hours than if you were working for someone else, you know? So yeah, it's hard. It's really hard because you do this for your kids and then you find yourself having to say to the kids, I have to work. And the weird thing is my husband goes to work. He's an engineer. My kids will say I work more than my husband. And like that will break my heart sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. You do end up working more because, right, being a parent is a full-time job in itself. And 
you know, until the kids are of a certain age, there is a heavy level of monitoring that needs to happen. They're coming and asking you for different things. And here you are trying to do your work at home and you're starting and then you're stopping, and you're starting and you're stopping. And every time you start and stop, you're like, where, wait, what was I doing? You know what oh, I mean? Exactly, and it takes a yeah. while to just get back into that groove, right? Because we, you have those times in a traditional work setting where you get into a groove and you can really plow through a project or whatever it is that you're working on. But if you're being interrupted every 30 minutes because somebody wants a snack <laughs> or what have you, it, it, it makes it 10 times more challenging. And like you said, you work, you end up working much longer late into the night and you do then have that guilt because it's, oh, you know, you're going to, you're going to make dinner for everybody, but then you're going to leave the room because you need to finish whatever you're working on. So I, I, I completely understand that. You know, in thinking about your business today, where it's at Breezy, I'm curious, you know, where do you see the future of it going? And we're halfway through 2023 now, which is crazy. You know, do you have plans? Do you set goals for your business? What does it look like? Um, It's a hard time for me as a reseller because I'm actually like questioning, like, is this still something I should be doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and... For me personally, what I'd really like to see for the future of my business is to go into um, costume styling for film. I'd rather like put my vintage knowledge towards that and and Mm -hmm. start going into that, um, which is like a niche of our industry, right? People may not may know or may not know that, but that is a niche you can get into. um, And I would love to. I'm in the right spot for it. And then I also do, you know, I run my little um, gossip column so I could just do that which is kind of a little bit like stand up you know I, I I would actually rather put my time into those things than continuing this grind of resale or I'm gonna need to figure out really honestly how to overhaul my business plan and maybe look to some employees because at this point after eight years doing this on my own being the marketing the shipping the you know social media like every department is exhausting yeah I'm like you know I need I need to cut back a little and like be in charge of just a few of these things I think yeah for the costume styling that's super interesting you know how how does someone even start to break into that I mean do you have contacts that you've made through the years just from so I have to imagine you've you've sold to stylists and stuff in the past eight years I have sold to a lot of stylists and um, playhouses things like that for and like film costume production companies as well I will say though honestly and oddly enough my biggest connections come from people I knew in real life Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I do know some people in production um, in New York and in Los Angeles, but it's, I, you know, even with knowing a couple of people, I don't know that my foot would get in the door. It's going to be right place, right time, like networking and meeting the right people. All of like any job, I think it really is about who, you know, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It, it just matters that you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Definitely about who, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, talent, talent helps too, right? <laughs> You know, it's a lot, and a lot of luck, I, I would say to anyone out there, yes. you could read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, and he will, like, explain it so much better than I do, <laughs> that it is a lot about right place, right time, and and all of those factors. 
more than your talent. But yeah, hopefully talent plays a little into it. Well, let's believe it, Denali. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right. I I believe it. You know, and what about in terms of like content creation? I know that, you know, you said you have your gossip column and you're on Instagram and now there's, you know, lots of different platforms out there. I mean, are you on TikTok or YouTube? Have you thought of expanding into those areas just as you are a highly entertaining individual to watch? I had a YouTube, but I then I ignored it. I don't even know where it is. I'm going to be honest. With you. <laughs> it's probably on I YouTube. I logged stuff. back in and it wasn't, I wasn't there. I was like, oh no, that account. <laughs> so one day I'll find it. And then um, I don't know. I don't know if YouTube is for me because it's not. I use YouTube like when I need to fix something in my house. I'm like, oh, I better YouTube this real quick, you know? But yeah. I'm not like, um, I've never been a long form YouTube watcher. I just don't have the attention span for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'll never say never though. Cause YouTube, YouTube to me is akin to eBay. It's like the tried and true OG of social media. You know what I mean? Like ain't going yeah. nowhere. <laughs> but TikTok is my boo. Like I love TikTok. <laughs> like I am 17 years old or something. Um, it is the social media I use for my own social media. It's like the only one I actually go to for myself. And I love TikTok. I do have a TikTok. It's not like, you know, I don't have a million subs or anything, but I do little educational videos over there from time to time about vintage. Gotcha. Okay. And so, you know, do you think your niche will always be reselling or have you thought about expanding beyond reselling? I always think about expanding beyond whatever I'm doing. (laughs) I just want to make sure. I'm, you know, just in case something amazing is going to come along that I'm, I'm on the, I'm one of the first people I want to be in the front of the line. <laughs> right. Right. Something I'm like, you know, aliens just landed. I'm like, Oh God, what's, what's the job going to be alien translator. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to sign up for that gig. I'm a t- I'm a, my course is dropping next week. It's going to be how to speak alien. <laughs> I love it. Uh, put me down on the pre-sale for that. Yeah, you're um, definitely down for the pre-sale. <laughs> All right. Well, my last question for you, Breezy, is what advice would you give yourself when you were first starting out in reselling? Now, it's been a long journey for you, like we said, eight years. But do you feel like there's something that if you could go back and tell yourself this, it would have been helpful or beneficial to you? inventory system (laughs) get yourself an inventory system (laughs) so what did it look like for you when you first started out i mean was there just stuff everywhere yeah like a game of thrones battle like it was the red wedding or something (laughs) it was madness i just you know i had things in different closets all over the house like it was chaos and then you know, slowly, I've gone through so many different systems. There have been times where I've been wildly organized. Now is not one of them, but there have been times. And the times I'm wildly organized are the best of times. <laughs> so it's never going to hurt you to get an inventory system. There's 4,000 videos on social media on how you can do it. So it's out there for you. And I would say to anyone, like literally who's thinking about going full-time into resale, really seriously consider what you're doing. Consider what you're leaving behind get yourself a good business plan. Make sure you have some money to cover your bills for a couple months because business is hard. It's not always consistent. 
and understand that you're going to be working a lot. If you're not a person who could take an online class in college, don't become a reseller because <laughs> you have to be self-motivated. Wow. Okay. That's like actually really good. <laughs> that last part right there <laughs> about, okay. Yeah. If you couldn't take an online class in college, <laughs> then don't be a reseller. I, I think that that is a really good comparison because as somebody who's, ta who's taken online classes, yeah, it's very self-disciplined in that if you don't turn on the computer, then you don't have to acknowledge work being done. Is that what you mean by it? Yeah. And just the, everything is self-motivation. Like, you, you know, resale is what you put in. Like you don't, I always joke about that with other resellers that as soon as I list something, I'm like, oh my God, you guys. And then something sold. It was like bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If you, if you can't get up, motivate yourself, like say, I'm going to drink my coffee and then I'm going to photograph and I'm going to list. Like you can't get your stuff done. Like, no, because there are a thousand distractions in the world. And they're all going to look good, whether it's like watching the Kardashians or going surfing, like getting a smoothie, whatever it is, it's going to be better. I promise you than listing on eBay. So like, you better be motivated to work. Yeah. And I, I think that that is one of the biggest struggles that a lot of people face when they transition into reselling. Kind of like you said, like consider what you're leaving behind. You know, if you are leaving behind a job that has a lot of structure you know, where you don't have to think too much about what you're going to be doing next during the day because it's already laid out for you and what your expectations are. Yeah, you need to consider that the job that you're going to be moving into is one where it's a, it's whatever you make of it. You know, if you want to work today, you, then you work today. And if you don't want to work today or the next day or the day after that, then nobody's going to care, right? I mean, uh, you know, maybe the bill collector will eventually, well, but yeah, exactly. And like, I will say like people who are coming from like restaurant industry are probably primed for resale because we're very used to, if we don't work, we don't get paid. <laughs> right. Know? Like if you're coming from that kind of industry, you're going to do great. <laughs> like, yeah. And you know, yeah. and I, you know, you have to, I feel like in resale now, maybe I'm OG old school on this, but like for me, it was a lot of research. So I felt like I was almost like a paralegal, the amount of research I did to like learn all the things I had to learn, you know, but it is more readily available for you now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there is like a lot of research that, yeah, when I feel like that I did similarly to you when I first started out, but there is, yeah, there's a wealth of information. Like you said, go to YouTube and type in how to do this or how to do that, or even on our favorite platform, TikTok, you know, there's tons of information there as well. But yeah, considering what you're leaving behind is really a good one because, you know, you don't appreciate that paid time off or that sick leave or, you know, like you said, if you're coming from the restaurant industry, you don't appreciate all your cash tips <laughs> until, until you don't have any at the end of the night. Am I right? Yeah. And I, and I also want to say to so many people, like, I think people need to understand there's a lot of sellers out there like myself who do have a partner who provides insurance and mm -hmm. other things of another income. So if you are single, it, you have to put all that in. What is my insurance going to cost? Like all of those factors have to be factored into your plan, you know? And I think it's really easy on social for us to see the success of someone without knowing everything like we're seeing the tip of the iceberg but not the breadth of the iceberg that's underneath the water you know what I mean right yep N yeah no I completely agree with you that you have to look at total compensation and 
and look at the cost because healthcare is going to be one of the largest costs that you're going to face. And, you know, for if you're somebody who uses your health insurance or values your health insurance, then uh, you really need to look at that as one of probably one of your largest expenses, second to paying your mortgage or your rent. So yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Breezy. This has just been such a fun conversation. I feel like I've gotten to know you so much better and understand more of your process. Thank you for spending this time with me this afternoon. Thank you so much, Denali. I always love talking about me. So anytime. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty. (laughs) It's like when you take a selfie. I'm like, I love pictures of me. (laughs) You know, it's... I. I tell people it's the easiest thing to talk about. It's yourself, right? Exactly. Like it's the topic I know the most about. I And shouldn't you, you know, you should feel comfortable with it. Well, you did amazing and I appreciate it. And I'd love to have another conversation someday in the future for the podcast. We can always do an update episode and see where you are. And, you know, uh, maybe you'll be dressing all of our favorite celebrities, you know, in the future. And we can look back on this moment and say, hey, that's, we talked about that. And then I can get my cut, right, of the business? Absolutely. I'll somehow give you a finder's fee for all of this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I will talk with you soon, Breezy. Thank you again to Breezy for being on this week's episode of the podcast. You can find Breezy on Instagram under the username Breezy Von Breezy, and all of that information will be in the show notes of the episode for you. I hope you all are having a wonderful end to your July. Summer is halfway over. Crazy to think that. Hopefully sales begin to pick up for a lot of us. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, With back to school shopping hopefully happening soon, I'd like to think that maybe some fall sales will start kicking into high gear. But in the meantime, keep on listing and keep on selling.